the Fallout Podcast, episode 52, a.k.a. Stop Looking at iPad Phone. It's an offensive fall showdown. All five two five songs going head-to-head in Ultimate Showdown. 77 to 85, 86 to 93, 94 to turn off century and 02 to 17. Joined, as always, by Monsieur Pippington Beard, human man. How are you, Philip? I'm ensconced, Matt. <laughs> How deep? As deep as it would go, to be honest with you. I always got to the bottom. Very good. Lord S. Temple, human man. I've been swimming in the bottomless pits of the garden and dredging the compost. Very good. Well, we'll get to that soon. And T-Bone Pemberton Walker, human man. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much, Mr. Brendan. And how the flip are you? I'm not too bad. I'm all right. And getting the jet lag cured. Tiny Tim Twa, ghost. Is he with us this evening? He's emanated. Very good. And I am tree three beards, half plant, half man. So before we crack on with it, I'm going to bring something to the table for you to consider. This is a little band that uh, you may or may not know called The Sonic from uh, Tacoma, Washington in the United States. Formed in the 1960s, but really got going in um, 65, 66. And a major influence on the, the fall via their scratchy garage. So I'm going to play you a little bit of their debut single, The Witch. Given that that was from 64, that's a pretty gnarly. That's a pretty gnarly sound, isn't it? Philip, what do you think about these rockers? I always thought they were gnarly, to be honest with you. Yeah, all this stuff reminds me of Al, to be totally honest with you. It reminds me of Great Red Swiss and being christened with various garage bands and nuggets and pebbles compilations. First Sonics track that you played for as well was uh, Strip Nine. But um, I call that a played because that's the killer one for me by the Sonics. Oh, it's great tune. Yeah, you put that on for me. I remember thinking, fuck me, these are awesome. I've, I've got to get some of this. But it also, it also was part of the gateway for bands like The Mummies. Absolutely brilliant band. The, uh, the power, the clean but raw guitar sounds, the very staccato, punctuated riffs. But they also kind of, they've got a kind of foot in rock and roll and a foot in proto-punk future sound, haven't they? Which is is just brilliant. So yeah, I've, I've loved exploring the Sonic. You know, there's a lot of the garage rock stuff going on in that era and, and the original Nuggets album, which I, I don't think they were on the original version. There, there was a four CD reissue that, that put Psycho and the witch on but they've always been around they were kind of a bit bigger i think they did have some kind of a little bit of success or notoriety around that especially in the pacific northwest apparently the witch was the biggest selling local single in the history of the northwest lead singer jerry rosalie in the classic lineup they went through a lot of changes uh, between 60 and 64 when they kind of really kicked off lead singer jerry rosalie keyboardist as well no less than a white little richard with harrowing soul screams is what he's been described as larry paripa and his brother andy and drummer Bob Bennett and uh, sax player Rob Lind, who does show up on uh, a couple of these tracks, really ripping the roof off. I'm going to play Psycho at the end because it is absolutely classic. And I think between The Witch and Psycho, that's pretty much all you need to know about the Sonics. The three albums are all worth a listen. But I'm going to go with something off the third album, Maintaining My Cool. It's a little slower, but it's a, it's oh, a nice I'll track. I'll tell you what, I'll play a bit of I'll play a bit of Maintaining My Cool and some of Shutdown as well, because that's decent. That's good. Shutdown's off the second uh, LP, I think. 
of bread, baby, and posing in my car. All the birds love me, they know I'm a star. I know where it's at, baby, in this here town. I'm what's happening, I can't be put down. Ain't no food maintaining my crew. <laughs> Watch me a while, I got my own bag. That was uh, maintaining my cool off the third album, introducing the Sonics, interestingly enough, because they changed labels and they, they were reintroduced and shot down off Boom, their second album. First album came out in 65 on um, a little label called Etiquette. Here are the Sonics. One thing you'll hear a lot about is how it was recorded. So it was two track. And uh, the the drum sound was got by basically one microphone picking up the entire drum kit. Particularly Kurt Coburn, I've, I've heard him talking about how that's his favourite ever drum sound. Al, what's the Sonics for you, to you, by you? Ooh, yeah, biggie, aren't they? Um, very, very, very influential. You know, it's a raw-ass garage sound, you know, that probably went on to influence the likes of Stooges and MC5, which then went on to kind of influence the, you know, the, the punk scene. Dirty, dirty stuff. Uh, the shot down one, uh, the Mummies do cover, and it's a, a very good cover, uh, and I quite like the hand claps on it. Didn't know about the two-track stuff, but uh, there's some very good two-track recordings by the Pergans. I think it's fairly limited supply, but uh, they're doing stuff out there. They're a damn fine band, aren't they? Yeah, sweet. So to do so, that basically those big tracks, the the Wick, Have a Level, Travel, Psycho, and Strickney, they're all on their first album. Have you ever heard Sexton Ming's uh, uh, cover of uh, Sonics? I have not. He does have sluts will travel. Yeah, in many ways, you have to, right? <laughs> The second album came out in 66 and apparently they uh, ripped all the soundproofing off the walls of the studio so as to get a raw a garage sound. And actually the second album is is a lot raw and that's arguably everything you need to know is off those first two albums. Let's have a listen to what Al said earlier was the daddy of them all, which is Psycho. Struggling, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sweet. Is there anything you wanted to add to the 
proceedings here? It's a pure musical expression. Um, none of these bands got into their garage and said, we're going to record a garage rock album. You know what I mean? Like, they were just doing their fucked up shit. It's that kind of purity that kind of has come out in the wash a lot because the music press has become so dominant over the discourse. And so now everything has to fit into a genre. These bands were kind of genreless, and it's just a pure expression of energy and power and libido. And it's always fantastic for me. Like, I just love all this shit. They were underground, essentially. They were off the radar. And that's why when that Nuggets compilation came out, it was a revelation for, for punks, essentially, in the 70s to get their hands on all this really obscure stuff and massive influence. So basically, they were done and dusted by about 67, you know, a couple of years. And uh, they left us with some wonderful gems that have influenced those bands we love, including The Fall. So let's move on to the uh, main event. Final listeners, we have Garden uh, versus Music Scene. We have Extricate, the song from the album of the same name, up against And Therein, also from Extricate. We have Oliano versus Bourgeois Town and Quit iPhone versus Remembrance R. Philip, can you play us a little bit of the gem that is Garden? Perverted by Language, 1983. Ever-growing in intensity like a garden, but never becoming intense. Philip, what do you make of this? I think it's a it's a beautiful song. I think the, the music is uh, is really what captivated me, first of all, when I was giving it some serious listens. This and I'm I'm familiar with the tune anyway, but it's one of those where it, it's it's quite mesmerizing to listen to and you sort of lose track. I hadn't realized how long the track is actually, um, until I gave it several listens through. I really like the the chimey effects they get at the start with the guitar and the, the that use of a, a single note played at different octaves which, which kind of rings out there's, there's been a lot of tracks recently with these kind of tribal tom uh, rhythm sections over the top it just builds up really nicely and then when the break comes in with this beautiful riff that wouldn't be a miss on something like a yummy fur album or something the other thing that, that juxtaposes it is this almost like a children's theme bass line that goes over the top of it it's very kind of come on kid follow the ice cream bun and then this really bizarre tapestry of words that goes on at the top of it that I've spent a lot of time this week just scratching my head about it's not very often I retreat to the annotated fall but I must admit with this one I did just checking out what they were saying but I, I really love this tune I think it's it's quite magical absolutely there is a lot to dig into Ezra what did it do to you well this track is just a pure treat it sparked my second resurgence of fall obsession when my housemate at the uh, John Peel version like the John Peel version is the best I've come to disagree with him because the John Peel version albeit longer which is certainly a good thing is a little bit more up tempo and I like the loping kind of cyclical sludgy vibe the original I think I could you know I could change my mind at any given moment 
moment over that. But it, it's just a remarkable song. It, it's like for a group whose singer was well known for the opacity of his lyrics, these lyrics are just opaque beyond compare. It's, it, it, it's a triumph in like, what the fuck? It's it's and you know I've I've thought about it for so long um, and it it's beautiful. I mean, just the way that the narrative, such as it is, comes and and the delivery of it. Like uh, I'll, I'll read some of my favorite parts. The second god lived by mountains that flowed by the blue shiny lit roads. Had forgot what others still tried to grasp. He knew the evil of the phone. He knew the evil of the phone. The bells stopped on Sunday when he rose. The bells stopped on Sunday when he rose. He's here. He's here at last. I saw him. I swear. He's on the second floor up the Brown Bay's lift shaft. He's here. He's here at last. I saw him. I swear. And that whole part, I, I think after I heard that song for the first time, I became a kind of a nightmarish individual who would just like hang around at gigs and bars and stuff and just say that to people. I saw him. I swear. He's here. He's on the second floor. <laughs> it's beautiful it, and, and it just beggars meaning and I, I think ultimately that's what it's about I think it's a piss take of revelation it's a piss take of gnosis it's a piss take of meaning it's a piss take of like artists that traffic in meaning and I feel like you know it's kind of like you know taking the end by the doors and that kind of pseudo profundity and really just running with it and it's super interesting because it's on perverted by language which is an album where on the I think it's the first track Eat Yourself Fitter he's singing the praises of um, that drug LSD and here we have a track where it's very much like when you're in the throes of an acid experience you'll just latch on to a sentence or a thing and that'll suddenly just solve everything and you'll be like it's this it's this a Jew on a motorbike! A Jew on a motorbike! And I think it's amazing that he can he can just like create this web of meaning, an illusion that seems to be saying something dead profound, but you're just like, well, what exactly is he saying? I mean, all this Jew on a motorbike business, is that Bob Dylan? Is it Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. But it's, God, it's one of the best tracks. It really is. And again, the first time I heard it, I think I was well into my kind of Molum period as well and that's the other thing about the music it's got that same kind of like opiated loping groove that some of the best molem music and some of the best kind of like southeast asian from the 60s and the 70s that was coming up and was a new thing for me um on the uh, sublime frequencies label was where i found out about it so it, it's yeah it's just beyond belief this track is unbelievable you like it then i like it. yeah I do. very good alistair what has he done for you that's rubbish, isn't it? Only joking. When I was learning how to not play guitar, I, I used to strum along to this particular tune, so I'm more than familiar with it. I noticed Phil saying chiming guitar. I wrote down that as well. Like it's that that lovely sort of chiming, drony groove uh, with the lovely two drum dynamic um, going on. I, I do love that two drum sound that they have, and the delivery from, from everything's brilliant. I mean, Smith's screaming on it at times is is fantastic. He just sounds completely. Deranged, but it, I, I've always kind of thought there's a bit of a, a you do right quality to it, you know, like can. Um, and, and I think it's that that the pace of it, which uh, as we kind of alluded to, it's got a right sort of like slow plod getting into the phone thing. Uh, you know, we'll get more into that one later on in the in the show today, I think. Yeah, I mean, he starts off setting his business out by the phones and he really hits it home towards the end, but we'll get to that. I've also written that the guitar chimes angrily. I've the bass is smeared all over the bottom end, especially the album version. I agree. I, I prefer the album version. I think the, the Peel session is just a bit lighter. I think there's some kind of menace, and I think most of it comes from that bottom end. And then they're just kind of waiting, waiting for Mez, and he does not disappoint when he turns up. See what flows from his mushy 
pen. The first God had in his garden from the back looked like a household pet. When it turned around, it was revealed to be a three-legged black grey hog. A quote from Mez, where he said the Echo and the Bunnymen had brought out the song The Cutter just after this, and, and that's a bit more on the nose about the prophet has returned. I am the resurrection kind of uh, idea. And he says, it looks as if that song's trying to take the piss out of them. He says, I mean, I will take the piss out of them. In this uh, particular instance, it was subconscious. So he kind of gives a hint that it suggests that this is about the return, the second coming almost, or this idea that we left the garden and we cannot go back until I'm no biblical scholar. All I know is that that noise break, beautiful when it goes down, like you say, it's a kid's tune being played by a noise rock band. And it is wonderful. It goes on forever and it never outstays its welcome. And, and it seems as if it's growing in intensity, but it's but from where? Because nothing is getting louder or faster or more intense, but it's almost as if they've circled you and everyone's just imperceptibly taking a little step forward and little by little you're being a ensconced, if I may borrow that word. But wonderful, and, and Jew on a motorbike, is it a real Jew? He said, there's another quote, he says, I, I had a chat with the, our driver who's Jewish, long talks about Judaism. I'd say to him, now there's one thing you'll never see, a Jewish person on a motorbike. Then one day I was going through Golders Green on the way to a gig in London, and suddenly the street was full of Jewish people on motorbikes. Um, but you can take that with a large pinch of salt, I imagine. What does Timothy think of this one? As if I need ask. A masterpiece. A tale of Eden? Or is it a demiurge writing existence with his mushy pen? This song is a perfect ideal of the juxtaposition of the lofty and the banal that exists in most great art. I love the swinging sway of the ringing guitar, the suspended feel, the wonderful rhythm section, pulpit poetry, mind-blowing stuff. Beautiful. And if nothing else has allowed us to bring out our top-shelf words, and um, we like that, don't we? The one thing I was going to mention is that to, to, we've, we've referenced a few weird writers that Mez was into. And the one thing that did remind me of was Lord Dunsany, this one, which is, is a much more kind of flowery part of those, that weird tradition. Um, and I did wonder whether that might be a reference to this. Yeah, I don't know if, if he's referenced him because he predates uh, Lovecraft and even James, right? He's he predates very... Lovecraft, but Lovecraft calls him one of the big four when he's talking okay. about him. Yeah. And um, Blackwood and Mackens. So, more of a, a kind of gothic kind of tradition. Yeah, so, I think so. He's definitely, if not directly referencing that, he is putting on a kind of like that kind of theatrical kind of. It's that sort of King James poetry. I think King so. But it's up against. Another biggie, which is a music scene of Witch Trials, 1979. While Ezra was running around shouting garden lyrics at people, I was shouting, oh, you're a good lad. Here's a power note. That was my go-to. And I think that says a lot about the two of us. Ezra, what does a uh, music scene do for you? It's another smashing track. You know, it, it, it's got that kind of like noodly proggy edge that I find a lot of the tracks on Witch Trials does. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I was listening to it and I was thinking, is 
It is one of Marky Smith's greatest gifts to the language as a lyricist and a singer, just willfully mispronouncing words. Because I can't think of many others that do that. And he's like, the music scheme. And so I, I was looking on online dictionaries and scheme is like um, a dagger used in Ireland and the Scottish, Scottish Islands. <laughs> According to the Urban Dictionary, it's acknowledgement of a comment just made, usually when someone says or does something ridiculous. And it is as if to say, okay, whatever, or you keep on doing that, you fool. I don't know. Did Was that what he was thinking? Or was he just thinking, I'm going to just, you know, say this word wrong. The music is great. It, it's really nice like uh, it, it just kind of rumbles around there's great guitar playing and then you hear the uh, the dude in the studio saying yeah all right okay we've, we've we can wind down now guys and they just keep going out of spite for another minute and 30 seconds which is also glorious so yeah you know this is a very very triumphant track yeah have the spending time in a studio with phil rigby the the last thing you need to say to somebody if you want them to stop is that they should stop I'm surprised they didn't go on for another 20 minutes. Alistair, what about music scene for you? Well, it says uh, Heavyweight off the uh, Witch Trials for me. There's a, a degree of originality in it in the respect that it's, you know, it's the punky era kind of stuff. And if you look at some of the box standard shite that was going around, um, it's fairly innovative, like, you know. Um, the Ears a Pound Note lyric, uh, yeah, that, that's a fantastic one. But yeah, there's a lovely groove going on there. The bass sort of like really working, leading everything else. I think everything else is working around the bass. Verbied sort of vocal recording sounds and the bit at the end where it just sounds like they've got a mic on in the uh, mixing room, which gives it a kind of like a bit of a, a day in the life quality or something like that, you know, Um yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's, uh, I love it. Good stuff. Aye, one thing I was going to say about um Ezra's comment about the language and whether or not he meant to mispronounce, he does it later with legend. Might, might be a Northern English kind of thing to play around with common words. Purveyor of that style of uh, comedy. Language that has been perverted, if you will. Philip, what do you make of this? Yeah, so I, I've not made any secrets, not my favourite album, Trials. So I, I will be throwing a bit of shade on this. It is a good song. There's no two ways about it. It's And it is probably one of the strongest songs on this album. I think from a musical point of view, I think the busy drums really work on it. And I think the busy guitar is very inventive. There's lots of ideas being thrown at this, which I, I really enjoy dissecting and picking apart. Um, as has already been said, it's a classic lines from Mez in this song. But I, I think it, it's also one of his least, it's a low effort for, from Mez, I think, as well. It's very Johnny Rotten. I find it a bit cringy in places, all the, the, the kind of hard Anglo-Saxon words being used. I find it a bit juvenile. It's, a bit, it's rare on this album where I think the music is better than the vocals or the words and lyrics. But I do think on this song, I think the music is better and more, uh, a bit more mature than his, what we would expect. And funny enough, I was talking to somebody this morning talking about how Mez comes out the gates fully formed as an artist and a writer. Whereas the band, I think, trail a little bit behind on the on the first album. Whereas I, I think it's the opposite on this song. The thing that really, really puts me off, and, I, and this is the same for all the tracks on this album, is the production sound. I hate the drum sound. I hate the way the drums have been recorded. It sounds like kids' drum kit in a in a stew cupboard. I, I don't like the sound of it at all. I think all the the, the mix is odd, but this, the actual meat and potatoes of the song itself, I think, is fantastic. And I think the music is worth pouring off quite a lot. It's just a shame that it suffers at, suffers at the hand of the studio. Really. It does sound a bit feel like they've gone into a studio where they're not used to a band that plays like that. You know, they're not used to knowing how to record, that kind of thing. It kind of, the keyboard sounds really good. I think the shitty keyboard, it, it works for that. And um, even though the bass line's a bit plodding on this and not in a good way, like what Ezra was saying about Garden, I think it's like, slows the tempo or the feel of the tempo down a bit too much, a bit, bit slutchy. But yeah, overall, it's just this, it's the sound that puts me off. Whereas I think the song itself is actually it, it's got loads of loads going for it. I agree that it sounds like the yeah the studio doesn't know how to deal with them, and then you see how that's different on Dragnet for all of its criticisms of of the production on Dragnet. It does it works better.
songwriter for the band. If I was being kind, I'd give them that there's a bit of a reggae-ish feel, especially to the to the drums, which usually are quite high pitched and tight in reggae. I don't know if that is intentional, but if you pair it with with Hanley's bass on this, which again I think has a, a bit of a reggae kind of lilt, I totally agree with you. The guitars are, are awesome, even though they're buried pretty low in in the mix. Brammer doing a lot of inventive stuff, and Riley's in there as well. A nice bed of ooze and 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 chants and some keys and stuff. But I don't know if it amounts to much. This is another one of those that I think when I was first getting into the fall, I had witch trials, grotesque, were the two that I went to, and grotesque has stuck with me. But I I think witch trials and uh, it hasn't. And like you say, Meds came out of the gate fully formed, and the band took a little bit longer. I mean, if you think frightened, rebellious jukebox, no Christmas for John Keys or Industrial Estate, it's like that's the first half of witch trials. I'd be happy with that. And we don't need eight minutes of music scene, I don't think. It's, it's funny. Fun. It's it's fine. It's, it's a bit teenage rebellion, isn't it? Which is which I think sums this song up to me. It feels like a very teenage kind of song. I think so. Those bastards stripped me bare in front of all those people, spat peanuts in my air and all the leaves were brown. <laughs> it's a mamas and papas reference very nice it, there's there's a lot of space in the song which and that's the stuff they really explored and perverted by language came to its fore then so in many ways it's the beginning of that style of the fall but by the time they got three years later four years later they totally nailed it what's tim reckon to this one let's have a look shall we he's put a real sign of things to come and a blinder of an album closer the sort of poor more conceits of an imagined studio are playing pressure by reading the track length from the studio booth is funny it reminds me of bands that haven't sold a copy of anything yet writing songs about the pressure of being famous I love blundering pod of the track like some incessant thing lumbering along and devouring all in its path great track it is great but unfortunately up against an absolute masterpiece but uh, no spoilers let's take a vote Philip it's got to be garden for me it has Ezra sodomized by presumption fair enough Alistair garden and uh, I am going for Garden also. Tim? Uh, Tim's given Garden 7 and Music Scene 2.9. I think he's starting to mock. Making a mockery of the rules. Making a mockery of the rules, but... Punish him, punish him. Thankfully, he's not here, so we can say and do whatever we like. Garden goes through. It, let's go to the second show, then extricate the song from the album. Uh, this was only on the cassette and CD version. Wow, wow. So that was Extricate off the CD album Extricate by the fall 1990. What do you like this song, Alistair? It's all right. Plotty techno with some uh, noisy guitar. I don't get too exciting with the drums. It's one that I wasn't dead familiar with because I'm just used to the vinyl version of, of Extricate. Uh, so it, well, it was a bit of a surprise to me, Brendan. Not dead familiar with it, but I'm not really too disappointed that it's not on the vinyl. Noted. Philip. Mm, bit boring. Bit boring this one for me. Bit too repetitive without much going on. There's some nice bits. I like the I like the keyboard. It's quite squelchy and nice. Um the guitar can fuck off. <laughs> Most of it really. Dangerous territory handled badly. I think it, it felt when I was listening to it, I would get about a minute in and I think, right, it's hitting its stride now, it's it's getting its groove down. But at any minute you think, God, this could easily veer into Jules Holland territory. Yeah, the other reference that I had was U2, which I don't think is a good reference to be making with any of these. And it outstays its welcome. Yeah, not great. Yeah, I, I've kind of written it doesn't bring a huge amount to the table. It's a, you know, it's a good LP and it's uh, Brammer's back and they 
Apparently Adrian Sherwood produced this, who's is a big dub reggae kind of dude, and there's no evidence whatsoever of any kind of dub <laughs> techniques on this song. You never know with the credits on these things whether Sherwood was actually involved. The only thing I did kind of, I put generic guitar slashing and plodding drums, but who's on those squelchy keys is what I've asked. I mean, Marsh is still in the band at this point, but maybe this was recorded later and tagged on. Was Dave, Dave Bush was around at this point but hadn't really started it's more likely him than uh than marsha i think um and and i was banging on the other week about reese stick how there's no other no fall song where he just repeats one or two words over and over again he did it 30 years earlier <laughs> to equal effect yeah i don't know probably good for it to be a hidden track ezra what do you reckon far be it for me to argue with a cranky guy with a head full of knives who's just had a divorce it's perfectly fun and functional and i love the faux 303 party bass synth but um yeah you know when you gotta go you gotta go do you need to write a song about it obviously if you're marky smith you do yeah it's definitely a bonus track you're kind you're kind man ezra let that never be doubted alistair what do you think make of this well you've already asked me brendan <laughs> what, does tim, what does tim think of this it's the third song i'll tell you what tim says shall i i like the scuzzy riffs from the guitar and synth but the whirling guitar solo is fucking annoying men's vocals add nothing at all and ultimately it goes nowhere no re- no real sense of propulsion just a poor meandering jam not good ah uh, oh well it is up against and they're in from the same LP extricate 1990. You know by now the Lord lays hard trails. Well, you see that man outside in the bucket and rain. You picture it in your again he's got a cheeky chorus riff that mez kind of rides like a pro surfboard man it's a tight tune but um it got a little bit of rockabilly going on i always think i like this song more than i do i like the i like the idea of it i like his and they're in kind of the archaic notion that it sounds like someone just said that to him and therein lies the problem he thought i'll have that one and the way he sings along with that cheeky riff but then i guess the rest of the song kind of just bobs along like a gentle cowboy tune you know by now the lord lays hard trails when you see that man outside in the bucketing rain you picture it in your cozy home you think you've blown a fuse don't know how to react and therein lies the difference and therein you think it's your fault and you curse the moon why don't you come to grips just take it or leave it can it all mean ezra what do you make of this well this week's offerings on the playlist for me this was the earworm and you know maybe it's the moment i don't know but it it really made me think about media and the way that people will get wound up about things you know what can you hope to do about it and you know fix your own porch first and you know I like that idea and I like this tune indeed it is quite an earworm isn't it Alistair what do you make of this song got that kind of limp rare but diddly feel to it for me uh, and you know I don't normally pick up on lyrics you know there's one or two that I, I have noticed over the years of water into wine all that kind of stuff so you got like a little bit of a religious commentary in there and I don't mind this one despite it being a bit pedestrian it's like the minimal groove and where the guitar kind of like picks up at the end of the riff it's a nice tune and I've, I've had it as a, an earworm before now very good thanks phil what do you make of this song and therein well almost the opposite of your experience to be honest with you because every time it came on my heart would sink a little bit and it's like oh no fucking country and western tune um and then I would, it would surprise me by me getting into it a bit, and especially when the uh, the on the in hook 
kicks in, which is, but even though I found stuff that I liked about this tune as a whole, it didn't really hang together for me and it felt like there was something missing really, like it needed another instrumental voice going on in it, or it needed some other lyrical ideas going on to just fatten it out a little bit more, but it was better than I thought it was going to be, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. Yeah, I think it's just, uh, you know, we say it a lot, but turned it up, get it in the red a little bit more, a little bit bounce, maybe another couple of lead lines, especially in those verses. What's Tim reckon? What do you reckon? What do you think he's going to say for this? Mm, same, same as we said. You could do better. Must try harder. This song always reminds me of the dodgy covers the band had become attracted to doing around this time. And every time I hear it, I go hunting for which shit country act had written it. Then it dawns on me but the fall with that shit country act guff fair enough noted duly noted however it's likely to go through isn't it given what it's up against and so um which way are you going phil uh, i'm learning i uh, me too ezra i want to get guff tattooed onto my teeth and i'm running for it and they're, in. <laughs> they're in okay alistair they're in. And Tim? They're in is your answer. They're in. <laughs> Okie dokie. So and they're in goes through. Next up, we have Oliano off for one of our favorites, Light User Syndrome 1996. <laughs> Ezra, they're celebrating what is almost certainly the weakest track on this album. Ezra, what do you think about this song, Oleano? This track just overjoys me. I think it's magnificent. It, it, it's a real like achievement in synth, synth rock synth garage i mean i've got a fetish i've got several fetishes actually um, <laughs> before nine o'clock ezra watch yourself i'll just list one of them i'm not gonna kink share this, which is that i've got a fetish for films about groups of men in inhospitable places and the second fetish you know like the thing <laughs> 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 But anyways, I've also, it seems, and I only realized it this week listening to this song, got a fetish for songs about captains because we've got like Good Morning Captain by Slint, which just sends me all a flutter every time. And then we've got like Dear Betty of Corky's Debt to His Father, which is a song I'll need a box of tissues for every time. And then this, Oliana, which is just an incredible work of maximal minimalism from Marky Smith, where he's just like using the slightest amount of lyrics to cast the biggest of, of spells and uh so like i'm just trying to uncover the truth where's the captain it's over captain consider the helm the helm the captain is in his bunk berth asleep as he should be just trying to uncover the truth it's over for you except scream <laughs> We're just trying to uncover the truth. Oliana, where's the captain? It's beautiful and it's powered by that triumphant, aberesque sin. <laughs> to me, it's one of the highlights on this album. An outrageously cheesy and totally pulsating. Great, great, great news. You, you begin to win me over with your enthusiasm and your um, peccadillos, but what about this song? Uh, this captain song? Captain Beacon is banned. <laughs> Captain of the Heart. I like this one too. It's a good one, isn't it? Phil, what do you make of this song, Oliano? Captain of the Heart? Yeah. The double. <laughs> 
Um, so I I struggled with this a little bit. I did struggle with this song. I was loving your description then I was like, man, that's completely thrown me. I was really struggling getting into this. I, I was I I enjoy anybody shouting about captains and trying to solve a mystery, but uh, I, I was I was kind of um, a bit of a loss as to what to make of this until I realized that the thing it most reminded me of was sparks. And it's like this, it felt to me like the closest that the fall get to doing a Sparks kind of song. And then as soon as I had that in with it, I thought, oh yeah, this is pretty good actually. I could I could imagine the male brothers ripping, ripping the stage up with it. Like those early Sparks tracks where it's got the kind of David Bowie Led Zepp guitar over the top of it, like it's turning it big enough for the balkers, that kind of thing. It's that's what it really started reminding me of. I went from being completely nonchalant and meh about this track to uh, to quite looking forward to when it came on. But I, I don't know whether that's the right lens to critique fall music, to be honest with you. But it's, it just says more about my my personal fetish about Spike's music. Yeah, and why not? I mean, we're just trying to uncover the truth after all. Where's the captain? It's over, Captain. The captain in his bunk berth, asleep as he should be. Where's the captain? I mean, that that in itself is a story written in in the the broadest, mysteriousest of all strokes. Weirdly, though, I also brought Abba down for the keyboard. Ezra made an Abba reference. I've got it as being like noyish and driving. It's got a bit of a crouty thing, and but those melodic keys are what makes it distinct. The only distinctive thing from just a chugging, plodding, grungy kind of rocker but then the, those keys are and, and some cheeky carl drum fills thrown in which he's he's back and he's what well, before smith catches him he's thrown in the odd one and just like the good old days alistair what about oliano for you imagine this one being an absolute belt alive uh, you know one to really get the audience worked up because you know there's a lot of energy in it like you mentioned, it's uh, you know the, the, the way that you got the, the fusion with the, all the instruments and the keys, which remind me a little bit of a theremin. So yeah, decent tune, and it it doesn't let up; it just keeps on going and changes. I, I noticed the, uh, the the noise vibe to it as well, there, Brendan. I do like the uh, the lyric about being uh, ensconced in snow, because uh, as everybody knows, uh, you know, to be ensconced, it's to be surrounded by scones, uh, which is bad enough, but with snow around as well, you won't be able to see the scones. So that's going to be ultra dead. They'd get soggy as well, wouldn't they? They would, yeah. Make a mess of your shoes. Where is the captain? Where is the captain? Maybe it's a fictionalised account of a missing ship during the Falklands War. Or maybe it's not. What does Tim think? Scuzzy and menacing. Love the metal zone dim guitar that fills the right channel at points. This song always makes me think of Slint. Mez sort of announcing or reciting something mystical and illicit. With hidden depths revealing gaping wounds. I love the mix with details hidden in every corner, but no mud. Great track. Ooh, I mean, the, so much of the light user has gone through. When we get to the end, I'll tot up how much of each album has gone through, but um, light user has got a big hit rate. Let's have a look. It's up against a bourgeois town, the Lead Belly cover off uh, Are You Are Missing Winner, an album which has not got quite as much love from us in the past. Let's see how they do with this one. That was Hey There Bourgeois People by The Fall and Lead Belly. What do we think of that one, Alistair? 
Yeah, it reminded me of a theme from Moss Chops as well as uh, Vicky the Viking. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's got that baby elephant war, Peter Gunn kind of progression to it, which um, I do like, you know, and I'm a sucker for, and I can take it in so many different formats, like, you know. Um, uh, going back to the, the bourgeois town thing, I, I bet Smith had uh, linked some meaning into it about um, Cheshire, because uh, it's kind of records on several occasions. I related people from uh, Stockport and Warrington and places like that, you know. Uh, and I think that was for the uh, the bourgeoisie kind of thing. But yeah, it's dead competent with a nice groove. Well recorded, uh, decent uh, structure to it, some good dynamics. Uh, not a bad cover. Not at all, but however, have a listen to this. <laughs> So that's from the Tav Falco's Panther Burns album from 1981. And they're not a very well-known band, but I've heard Smith mention them a few times and a couple of covers they've done, The Falls then gone on to do. And I mean, this clearly was influenced by that. Um, but I do think the message of the lyrics hit home with Smith in a way that uh, made him want to cover it. But it's... Um, it's it's a fine. Are you missing when it was the closest they got really to a covers album? Because like, almost all the songs are, are influenced heavily by some other song in some way. Uh, but this one's done with a plum and uh, you know Smith mashing in the lyrics where they shouldn't go. You know it's a functional riffer. It's nice and gruff. I, I don't think it stands up to the the Panther Burns version or Lead Bellies for that matter. But it's Bruce sweet. Lead Bellies. Yeah, let's have, a, let's have a listen to it. Is uh... yeah, Lead Belly didn't he get out of jail for by writing um, a song about the governor? You know, he was a rum character. Was Lead Belly spent the quite murder. a few years in? Yeah, he, he was in jail for murder for a good chunk of his time. But you know, I don't know about it. Let's check him out. Big Bonnie Donegan. He did well at uh, covering. Uh, oh, It's nice, it's very different. Obviously, it's been massively updated and uh, gone through a whole bunch of various interpretations before the fall got their hands on it. Pip, what do you make of it? So, well, I hadn't realised it was a cover, to be totally honest with you. I thought it was uh, a fall song that had to happen at some point within railing against Bushwick Towns. So I went into it thinking it was an original. Um, the riffing reminded me of country teasers a lot. They, they use that kind of single note, bluesy rock and roll kind of bass riffing. Cards, I was interested in listening to Lev Belly one because I wanted to know where he got his, his hook from the wow, wow, wow bit, which is probably the best bit in the song for me. I thought it's funny. It's It's got uh, a decent energy about it, a bit of momentum and pace and stuff. doesn't get boring, doesn't stay around too long. It's It's got a charm to it definitely and um, it's probably one of the better tracks off that album um but as it's a cover it's obviously in, it's it's already inherited a penalty already hasn't it? the original the lead belly lyrics were very much about his uh treatment at the hands of the bourgeois so it was it was basically about his racist treatment you know that's where the home of the brave land of the free i don't want to be mistreated by no bourgeoisie Essentially, you know, he was railing against actual mistreatment that he was facing in his life, whereas Smith seems to be uh, railing against beach bums and men with shaven hair. People from Warrington. Basically, it's, I'm sure Lead Belly's not spinning in his grave that this uh, Mancunian drunkard is talking about people who wear shorts. 
<laughs> Same difference, man. Same difference. Exactly. What about Tim? Now, he should like this by rights, but he's going to have no time for it. Oh, he's going to know it's a cover, isn't he? Right, let's see. This ain't no crop dust, but it's all right. If a bit standard and lumpen. I like Lead Belly a lot, and this really doesn't capture anything of his fluidity and grace or his gutsy depth. He just sort of bobs along, plod, plod, plod with zero feeling. Yeah, I'll have to give him that. Ezra, what do you think of the uh, lead belly destruction? Boys, what time? I think you covered it well enough. I don't have that much more to add. So let's take a vote then. We've got Oleano. A flight user up against Bourgeois Town from the turn of the century. Which way are you going, Phil? I'm a big Sparks fan, so it's Oleano for me. Okay, nice. Alistair? Oleano for me. Yes, integrity intact. And my vote is for Oleana. Very good. What um, What does Tim think? It's again. Oleano! <laughs> All right, I'm going for Bourgeois Town because I like it. It's a sweet track, but uh, it has been voted out. Bringing us to the last showdown of the evening, which is Quit iPhone off Sublingual Tablet 2015, up against Remembrance R off the Remainder EP. technology uh, marky smith and quit why not you quit our phone and van morrison why are you even on facebook baby um ezra what do you make of that tune by the fall well before we get to the fall my message to van morrison is why were you born why slightly upset and a little bit insulted that anybody would compare the fall to van morrison <laughs> Um, because here we have like a group that's done nothing but great things com compared to just some fat tit. Um, so, you know, Van Morrison, fuck off. Uh, the Fall, I love you, Mark E. Smith. God bless your heart. And you are absolutely right about iPhones because they're shit. And the internet is shit and everything's shit. And it's very sad, but that's the fact. Um, yeah, and, you know, when it comes to this song, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Like, I don't know if it's the production or the group or a, a bit of both, but I don't think they really quite keep up with Mark's spark on here because he's he's really foaming at the bit he's champing at the bit with this and and I, I really love to hear him doing it you know my eye muscle is bright in the light of disfranchise why don't you leave it alone why can't you just quit I, that iphone iphone <laughs> why don't you just quit iphone just quit your iphone phone iphone phone everywhere oh i don't want to look in people's home <laughs> I look at front, look at back, here I stand. Why don't you tell them about styrofoam? <laughs> See, if, if Van Morrison had that kind of wit and Alan, I might be able to forgive him for being a fat imbecile who can't sing or compose music. But he can't, so I won't. This song, on the other hand, the merit, I feel, is entirely in Smith's lyrics, vocal and delivery thereof. The group seems to be trying to keep up, but there's something a bit sludgy in it. So that's me. Duly noted. Alistair, quit a phone. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with Ezra's comments there about Van Morrison. Uh, he's in an annoying set, isn't he? Um, but song, yeah, it's a, a nice sort of garagey punk tune. Uh, do like the vocal delivery, and uh, I'm on board with Smith's message. Not got a great deal to say about it apart from that. Fair enough, Philip. It's better than the Van Morrison one. I'll give you that. Uh, I, I think it's. I don't think it's that bad a tune. I think it's quite thrashy and and uh, brash, which is is all good. Uh, I do think Smith's performance is great on it. His his grunty, rolly, bubbly self kind of uh, um, just <laughs> Smith does, which is great. Um, it's a bit by the numbers. It's I mean, there's nothing that massively jumps out about the music, but there's nothing poor about it. Um, I do like the ending, and uh, I thought the backing vocals were great. Those little peppy sort of uh, backing noises that comes, which I'm assuming is Eleni at this point, um, which which sounds great in the mix. But I just can't, I can't get past the old man complaining about technology and kids bit of it really. But the the line that um, <laughs> came out with before is the standout for me. And I could just imagine him being shown something on somebody's phone, and he goes, "I don't want to look inside other people's houses. I'm not interested. Why are you showing me this? I have no interest. And I bet you don't have any interest either." So, I, yeah, on that bit, I'm, I, I think he's on point. Fair enough. A fine critique. He's taken the the Schadenfreude of laptop dog, where he was mocking his. <laughs> Mate for losing his laptop and, and really turned it into real malevolence against iPhone users. It's, it, the whole album, really, the sublingual uh, has this kind of um, like old man railing against technology bent, and uh, yeah, he does it with the plum. It's fair enough. And um, Morrison, who I, you know, I've, I've got a little bit of soft spot for a few of his songs. Astro Weeks, I I've think seen him live. Yeah, and I didn't like him before watching live, but I was actually fairly impressed with him live. Great voice. Them. them were great band. I know that's a long time ago now. And uh, Astro Weeks, you know, he's that's his biggie, and I think it's worth a listen. It's a Sweet tune. We replicated the Van Morrison fans. Yeah, but this is his version is awful. It's guys, but Smith shows him how it's done, and I'm with I'm with Ezra on the fact that. I wish the band had kept up a little bit. It's got uh, that stout man kind of stoogy kind of riff going on, but it, it's kind of mixed in a really gentle kind of way, bopping along. It needed Eleni coming through with a stonking riff. Uh, turn it, put it in the red, get Eleni on there, and I think you've got a classic. My eye muscle is bright as I stir into the morn, and I see the citadel of Media City, Media City shining bright. I went to Media City a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Craig Charles was sat outside the BBC on on his phone and uh we were looking at him and he spotted us looking at him and it was almost like please come and talk to me <laughs> <laughs> sorry craig if you're listening i know that's not really what you wanted so um why can't you quit your iphone anyway it's up against remembrance are off the remainder ep what does um tim think of uh quit iphone well, at its core there's a super traditional rock and roll song with a great snarling and spirited vocal punctuated with Eleni's comically polite hair hairs. Production's a bit hollow and unbalanced, but I like this one a lot. In an alternative world, the streets would be dancing to this while bunting flickers and flaps. Not a classic, but enjoyable enough. I almost think at times he he deliberately gives the later albums way more credence than, say, that mid-period. Timothy Twain, no. Timothy Twain, I think. If that had been an I.U.R. missing winner, he would have torn it to shreds. He's predictable these days, isn't he? He is, He's isn't he? Right. Let's have a listen to Remembrance R and see what we think of that one. The spirit of the devil is a terrorjetter. He can't help it. He can't. He sits above waiting metal fasting. Thank you. 
Yeah, in, in most cases you'd be waiting for it to kick in, but it doesn't really kick in. It kind of just does that more or less for about eight minutes or whatever it is. But it's got its charms. Alistair, what did you make of Remembrance R? Um, it's all right. You know, it's, it's plenty of eco-friendly recycling going on there again with uh, I Want to Be a Dog. Uh, but quite like the, uh, the kind of loungy, spacious uh, approach that they've, they've turned to it with a yeah, very spacious drumming. And, and I do think it would have been pretty interesting to have heard it with two drummers uh you know like giving it a little bit more kick but you know keeping to that purse vocals on it are great though uh, and uh, there's a little bit in it where he, a little whistle comes through i don't think it's uh, his folksies or what like you know um but that was brilliant i love that but I, di- I didn't think much of the uh, uh the backing vocal at the end of it you know it was just a bit too sleep for modsy for my liking yeah a bit of a stoogy vibe as well, yeah, straying into some um, Anna Be Your Dog territory. You know, if we had another note here, no one will notice. So we noticed, lads, we noticed. Guitar gets noisy towards the end. There's a bit of a, a second guitar that comes in that, that does some atonal stuff that's that's quite nice. It's kind of slinky and winding. It's really grown on me. That space, like you mentioned, is really nice and Smith's on form. Um, I think it just does enough for me. It's nice. I can put it on. Um, not a classic, but uh, decent. And then the fellow who comes in at the end is Simon Archer, Ding, who was in the band and then he was in Polly Harvey's band. And he goes on about, hey, I can tell you about my favourite bands as hardly any. They reform after 17 years like they forgot about the sweat and the long journeys in the back of the vans and they're running on remembrance and reminiscing of encore time. He then literally within six months went on to join the Reformed Pixies and was playing, played on that shitty indie synthie LP that they put out just after they reformed. <laughs> I, I'd like to think they that missed, he... They famously got one out of whatever it did they do on pitch for. Yeah, it, it, it is not a good one. I mean, the Pixies, awesome, but that comeback stuff, especially the stuff... They've done... Yeah. Some of the stuff they've done in the last couple of years that, that has not been as bad, but is. It doesn't touch their earliest stuff at all. Uh, what do you reckon, Phil? Yeah, I struggled with this one a little bit. <laughs> you made me laugh then, Alvi, your reference to recycling. It was a bit a one step too far for me, this, in terms of yet another rehashing of that Stooges riff. Um, and you're quite right, Brandon. When it starts to get more interesting, about the halfway mark, when the other guitar comes on, I was like, oh, well, this, this could get interesting. No, it could get intriguing. And then they put that stupid voiceover on at the end so that you can't bloody hear what's going on with it. And it's just, it doesn't work for me at all, this. It's what's good isn't original and what's original isn't good. Fair enough. What's Tim reckon? Oh, look, the elves riff again with a note or two changed. And then it dawns that he's talking about old musicians retreading old ground for a book. Really not sure how I take to this one. I like the line, I smell the brown muse in the dark. I need help. All right. Uh, Ezra. That's the proper business. Very good. That's nice. That's nailed it. The spirit of the devil is in Kanjeta. You play in the winter sun with replacement teeth. The cackle has landed and a screw will break loose. There's always something of note. But is it enough? Which one's going through? Uh, Ezra? All right, Remembrance R will do it for me. What about you, Phil? <laughs> All righty. And Alistair? Um, I think it's going to be a quit iPhone. Ooh. I am, I'm going for Remembrance R, even though I really do like Quit iPhone. So which way has Tim gone? Quit iPhone 3, Remembrance 2. Okay, so Quit iPhone goes through, and I think in the long run, that's probably the best decision. And so Quit iPhone, Oleano, and Therin, and Garden go through to the next round. I believe you're on holiday next week, Pippin, is that right? Going off to Italy. Well, enjoy, and um, we shall see you on the other side, Alistair. Have a good one. Thank Here you, chat. Well, see you soon. Bye. Good day. Careful, careful, sir, lads. Welcome.